as well begin. Where do we start? You've been in 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 cannabis research since the sixties, right? The late sixties. Um, yeah, um, that's right. Yes, um, I was. Uh, what happened was I <clears throat> I was at Oxford doing a degree there, and uh, while there I worked with the army. Actually, um, I was an officer cadet with the Royal Engineers, and. Um, I had the opportunity to do an army diving course down in Southampton, which I did, and became a qualified diver. While I was down there doing the course, I learned about a thing called inert gas narcosis, um, how uh, air at high pressure can make you feel drunk or happy. Right. And, and so if you dive too deep on air, it's a problem, actually, because it becomes dangerous, which is why they use helium instead of nitrogen, instead of air. Um, so I thought, oh, I'd love to do a PhD on that. So I looked around and there back in Oxford was a professor of pharmacology who, who had an interest in that side of things. So I worked on that. And then the uh, point of getting to is once I got my PhD or DPhil as they call it there, um, he offered me a job to work on cannabis. And um, the reason being that he thought maybe there were some similarities between some of the cannabinoids and anesthetics, and maybe it had similar mode of action for some right. things. So, which is how I got into that. And so before then, you had no previous interest in cannabis. Did you hear about it or what was it like back in the 60s when it came to cannabis in the UK? Well, I heard about it vaguely. It was becoming recreationally, um, I think, uh, a, big, a big thing. Hmm. But not while I was doing my first. I don't remember it when I was doing my first degree. So right. I think, uh, it, uh, well, maybe I just missed, missed it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was going on with me not noticing. Hmm. Um, but... Um, yeah, but it became a big thing. And in fact, uh, when we started working on cannabis, we worked with a, we used to extract cannabinoids from a dark green liquid called tincture of cannabis. <clears throat> yeah. and, that, and that was a medicine at that time in the UK. Right. Uh, and it was given for things like pain relief and so on. Mm. Um, my wife, um, who, who I later met and married, um, she was a nurse, actually. She remembers giving it to patients in hospital. Oh, right. Because um, this was before the Misuse of Drugs Act came into place as well. Well, in, in, uh, it was banned eventually in, yeah. the, in, the, in the late 60s or early 70s. Um, it was banned. Um, but luckily, um, we'd got enough of it to, to do our research because there was very, very few other sources um, of cannabis available other than growing the plant. Right. Really. And I suppose um, you wasn't allowed to do that. Oh, no, we, we no. weren't allowed to do that. No, no. We Not even for research back then? Um, I don't know. Um, but we, but uh, we were more interested in the individual chemicals and the green mm. liquid we had was fine for us because yes, it yes. was a good source of that. And um, we were, I worked with a chemist as well who used to extract the uh, cannabinoids. He had a huge machine um, and he used to just... Uh, open a tap for a particular one of the cannabinoids they was to be separated out on this huge machine wow and it was wonderful oh. yeah and this was at a time when we knew very very little about uh, the plant cannabinoids um uh, one of the ones so uh, we actually discovered one called te called uh, tetrahydrocannabivarin uh, or thcv which is structurally oh, very, yes. very similar you, to THCV. you discovered thcv yeah in wow um, in the, in the green in the green liquid tincture yeah it was in there and we discovered it and 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 were able to determine its structure wow that that that's that's super cool that is professor it was great yeah that's right uh, so we did that 
Did, did you ever get a reason for for this green liquid? I mean, as as a like um, a, a medical practitioner, should we say? Um, did they ever give you a reason for why it was banned? I think because um, there were other medicines around which could do the same job equally ah, well, and yeah. they were worried it might get um, people might take it and use it uh, recreationally. Right. Uh, because it had THC in it, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the and, really and, dangerous drug. And you could get high on it probably in the same way as you could get high on cannabis. It was probably no more dangerous than cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, but it, of course, and also, of course, it was a liquid, not um, a plant. Um, so, mm -hmm. so anyway, I think it was banned because it was felt um, the risks out, outweighed the benefits at that time. Mm -hmm. Although that said, cannabis, of course, was a very important medicine at one time. Um, when there were very few other medicines around. Queen Victoria yeah. was given it actually to help with menstrual pain. That's right, yeah. Um, and that was when, uh, at a time when there were very few other medicines around. Uh, but then the other medicines appeared more and more and more. In, and so cannabis was put to one side. Mm. Um, I found actually that um, one of cannabis had one similarity with, uh, with uh, anesthetics, which is the way it affects body temperature. Um, and what we found was, what I found was that, what I discovered was that anesthetics like uh, uh, nitrous oxide or nitrogen at high pressure uh, lowers the uh, body temperature mm. so that animals regulate at a lower than normal temperature. So it resets the set point opposite to fever. Fever, you, you feel cold unless your temperature is high. Mm. Um, for, the, for cannabis, you feel um, too warm unless your temperature goes down, at least in the animals. And um, yeah. that, sorry, that was for anesthetics. And later I found that cannabis was exactly the same, at least um, THC in cannabis. It also caused the animals to um, lower their temperature. So we switched off their heat reduction. They, was, they, they, relieved, they re released heat from their body. So their, their, body, their skin temperature went up and their body temperature went down. And I, did, I developed an apparatus which allowed me to look at the behavioral side of that. And what we found was that uh, the animals were given a choice between warm and cold. It's a big circle. They could run in a tunnel. Uh, if I injected them with uh, THC, they rushed into the cold and their temperature went down. And, then, right. they, and then they shuttled at a lower, uh, to keep their temperature about four degrees below normal. Wow. So when you say animals, you mean lab rats? These were mice, yeah. Mice. And yep. so you'd inject them with THC and would you inject them with other cannabinoids as well? No, it was, just, it was just THC at that time. Right. Been, did, was did, was did, this in the sixties, the late sixties, early seventies? Was it? That's right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. I also developed um, in vivo assays um, for measuring the effects of drugs like THC, and one was uh, what's called the. I, the uh, well, what happened was I I moved from Oxford up to Aberdeen about nineteen seventy four. Uh, because I I uh, decided I, I couldn't go on living on grants. I needed to get a permanent job. Right. And in in Oxford in Aberdeen, I there was a lectureship going, so I moved up there, and um, continued my research on cannabinoids. And there was a, a, a research lab there working on um, opioids, and uh, including peptides, including uh, uh, one which turned out to be endorphin or enkephalin which is in an endogenous opioid. So they discovered the endogenous opioids. And one of the tissues they used was a mouse isolated vas deferens. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll try that and see if it works with uh, 
cannabis as well, or cannabinoids. So I tried mm -hmm. it for THG and it did. And uh, in fact, it produced similar effects to uh, to the opioids, although probably acting, we know now, definitely acting through a different mechanism. I mentioned that because uh, shortly after that, um, cannabinoid receptors were discovered. These are pharmacological receptors for drugs like THC. And was you part of the discovery of those as well, the CB1 receptor? Not really, no. That was discovered that that was discovered in the late 1980s and around 1990. Um, work done in the USA. Okay. And uh, they, they 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 discovered it, and then a couple of years later in the U in the UK, the CB2 receptor was discovered. Again, I wasn't involved in that discovery. But uh, what it raised, question it raised was why do we have these receptors? Mm -hmm. Surely not to get high on cannabis. There must be some other reason why we have them in our mm, bodies yeah. and in our brains. And that led to a search for endogenous compounds, which can um, act on those receptors and are released in a way which maybe is beneficial, or maybe not. And um, one such compound was discovered called anandamide. And uh, that was discovered in Israel by um, a famous scientist called uh, Raphael Mishulam at the Hebrew University. And uh, I, 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 I knew him at that time. And so he, uh, he, he contacted me. In fact, at a meeting, we got together. And he said, why don't we see if it really is um, a cannabinoid receptor agonist? So he sent me some so I could try it out because I had that um, um, assay I mentioned, the vast deference assay. And it worked very well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it behaved like a uh, like like THC. Um, this was at a time before antagonists were around, so you couldn't block the effect. There were no antagonists. Right. But what I did instead was to um, make the mice before I took up the tissue. I made them tolerant to THC, and then if I did that, they were tolerant to THC in in vitro as well in the assay, and they were and they and 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 they were also tolerant to anandamide in the same assay okay. so uh, it looked as though the THC and anandamide were acting the same way so so uh, that really opened up the field once um, the discovery of the receptors followed by discovered that there are um, endocannabinoids and the second one which we co-discovered was 2-arachidonoglycerol or 2-AG which again um, acts now, like, uh, like acts on these receptors because you discovered that or co-discovered did were you able to name it yeah, so we got together at a meeting actually in Canada. Um, it was we, um, Mishulaman and I, and the other person who worked in his lab. Um, we um, uh, sat down and talked about possible um, names, and they came up with a nice name called Anandamide for, for the first one. Um, Ananda is um, a word for is, is internal bliss or happiness, Sanskrit word for internal bliss or happiness. So we called it Ananda and it's an amide. So we called Anandamide. Oh, awesome. That, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's, that's a nice way to name it. I like that. And then 2AG is just after it's structured, that glycerol. Wow. So over your career, have you ever used cannabis recreationally or just strictly for research for you? Just uh, for research, I never was particularly interested in trying it uh, recreationally. Wow. No, no. The nearest I got to that was once when I was a meeting, um, cannabinoid meeting somewhere down in the USA, actually. And um, um, oh, no, sorry, in, in South South America. And uh, we after the meeting, we went off to, to someone's house to have a drink or two, which was very nice. But one or two people were smoking cannabis there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was given a lift back to my hotel. 
by a group of them and uh, they were in the car and they were smoking cannabis away like mad and so I passively inhaled it I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it does work then passive inhalation I oh, know I held my breath as much as I could yeah. so, so, I, so I, I minimized the problem now, how yeah. many years was this into your career into your studying cannabinoids were you in that situation like Oh, that was um, in the 2000s. Uh, All right, so in, in a while this century. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, so yes. You, so you never felt tempted or anything to... Not to, really. I'm not trying no. to push you no peer pressure or anything. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, I, I'm a pharmacologist, so I try and avoid drugs. Mm -hmm. yes, of course. <laughs> because they have benefits, but also risks. Indeed. Yeah. What, what do you consider to be the risks? Of what? Of cannabis use. But recreationally or medicinally? Mm, well, I can't, well, we, we we have a lot of both, as it goes. Yeah, we have a lot yeah, of recreational yeah, users. Yeah, yeah, we have a yeah, lot of yeah, medical yeah. users. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, I think uh, I'm not really an expert but on that side of it, but um, there are various problems, uh, which I'm sure you know about already. One is how do you take it safely? Hmm. Um, so smoking is probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, so it'd be good to come up with some other way of taking it. Um, and there are one or two possibilities. Um, in fact, the the, the medicine um, uh, one of, a medicine which is used for um, treating multiple sclerosis called Sativex mm -hmm. or Nabox Nabiximols, um, that's actually sprayed into the mouth. It it contains THC and cannabidiol in about equal amounts, and it's for multiple sclerosis, mm -hmm. and that's sprayed into the mouth. And the idea being uh, that it should be absorbed from the mouth. And if, if you absorb from the mouth, it mostly goes straight to the heart. And from there, it's distributed around the body, which is really good. Okay. Um, from the lungs, again, it goes to the heart. But the trouble is you can have lung damage from the smoke. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the spray is a much safer way of doing it. Um, if you swallow, then that's fine. But some of it then goes to the liver. And that means it's going to get a lot of it's going to get metabolized, mm -hmm. which which isn't necessarily a good thing. One way around that uh, is to um, give it actually rectally, which is a strange route. Yeah, I don't think it's I, I don't know if it's ever been tried, but um, the theory is that it, if you take it by that route, um, it doesn't go to the liver because there's no connection between the rectum and the liver. So then it would go to all over the body, which would be good. Yeah, I've heard that's a way which people can take a high THC dose without feeling the high from the THC. Yeah. That's usually the, the medical users with the RSO capsules, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But the main reason, one of the reasons that, why I, I suggest it is because it means it doesn't go to the liver. Yeah. And so you don't have uh, problems of metabolism or any, any uh, toxic effects on the liver, for example. Mm. Cannabidiol, for example, one of its effects is to interact with enzymes in the liver. Uh, SIP, so-called SIP enzymes, um, and uh, it's actually an inhibitor of those enzymes, but can also induce them as well. So it mm -hmm. can increase the levels of those enzymes uh, for good or bad. Yeah, we've what, heard what that. So, sorry, Ozzy, with, with CBD, we've heard that um, it can, we've saying that it inhibits certain things in the liver. Taking certain medications alongside CBD can uh, cause toxic effects. Because well, the build up of medication and things like that. I mean, you would right. know better. That's right. It will stop their metabolism. That's right. And so, of course, an inhibition of their metabolism, which will boost their levels in the body. Mm. Um, and, of course, there are some um, medicines, I don't know if it applies in this case, some medicines which are metabolized to the active form, 
and I suppose in that case it might be possible for CBD to stop that happening. But mm. I don't know don't know of any examples of that. So overall, your years of research, uh, how uh, is there anything that's really astounded you and amazed you about cannabis and cannabinoids? Well, um, what's interesting uh, about, first of all, the plant cannabinoids, what's interesting, I looked at a few of those, uh, THC, cannabidiol, um, cannabigerol, THCV, of course. <clears throat> and uh, one interesting thing was is THCV, which um, we found is can um, activate cannabinoid CB2 receptors quite well, but uh, seems to have a blocking effect at CB1. Right. So, it's, so it's a mixed uh, antagonist uh, CB1 and agonist CB2. And that could be beneficial therapeutically, although it's yet to be properly explored. Hmm. But um, one possibility would be uh, to help with kidney damage uh, and ki ki kidney injuries of various kinds. Okay. Um, so um, that's something which would be interesting to look at. Um, cannabigerol is another um, plant cannabinoid for phy or phytocannabinoid. And interestingly, it um, can activate alpha-2 adrenal receptors. That's one of its properties. And uh, it can act through those receptors to relieve pain. So it'd be interesting to explore that a bit more, I think. Wow. Um, there are other drugs which can do that, but um, it's, it's a bit less strong than some of those other drugs mm. and might therefore have fewer bad effects, fewer adverse effects for mm. that reason. Um, also, uh, some of the phytocannabinoids have opposite effects to each other, which is uh, interesting. So we call them phytocannabinoids, spelled P-H-Y-T-O, cannabinoids. But uh, you could maybe call them phytos, F-I-G-H-T-O, because they fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, for example, um, cannabidiol can enhance activation of serotonin 5-HT1A receptors, but cannabigerol uh, blocks those receptors, so it has an opposite effect. Oh. Mm. And THC activates CB1, but uh, THCV uh, blocks the CB1 receptor. So again, they have opposite effects. So cannabis is a complicated um, um, medicine. Mm. Indeed com it is. Complicated plant. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> but one of the exciting things I, I discovered was uh, not to do with the um, plant, but uh, to do with the receptors, and particularly the CB1 receptor. Uh, and we discovered it um, has what's called an allosteric site on the receptor. What that means is, as well as the, the main site is the orthosteric site. And if you activate that with THC, you get THC-like effects, of course. But there's also an allosteric site. And uh, we discovered. And if you uh, target that, then you can uh, strengthen or weaken the activation of the orthosteric site by THC. Ooh. So you can turn up or turn down the strength of the um, of the <laughs> THC. Oh. Uh, and importantly, you can probably also, in fact, we, we know you can, um, you can um, do that for the endogenously released endocannabinoids. So you can make the, um, their effects stronger or weaker. And uh, we've explored that a bit further um, by developing one or two such compounds in collaboration with um, chemists, of course, and um, come up with evidence that uh, such uh, targeting um, using a positive allosteric modulator might could good for pain relief, mm -hmm. uh, for example, and possibly also for um, pressure in the eye, reducing pressure in the eye. Um, 
So uh, that, that's quite exciting, I think. There's also evidence now that <clears throat> the CB2 receptor has allosteric sites as well as orthosterics. And so there's a lot of interest in developing CB2 allosteric modulators for pain relief for, um, for, uh, for uh, as medicines as well. Um, for wow. one possibility being uh, to treat cancer. Um, and uh, there's some evidence that um, enhancing activation of CB2 might be good for re reducing cancer. Yeah. Do you so, do much research in that field? Um, only in collaboration. I, I focus mainly on the basic pharmacology. Right. And then I collaborate a lot with other groups who um, are the chemists who make the compounds, design and make the compounds, or with um, people with appropriate um, techniques. For right. example, um, we, we do a lot of in vitro uh, assays, but I collaborate sometimes with uh, chemists, who, uh, with uh, scientists who do in vivo um, assays as well. So you're still heavily into research now? Well, I'm, 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 I'm cutting back a bit now, but uh, I have been. But uh, with the COVID uh, situation, it's made it very difficult. Yeah. And of course, I'm getting quite old now. I'll be 80 next year. So I'm wow. getting bit... You're doing well for 80. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Still very busy, very active. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um... it's being around all them cannabinoids. Oh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, <a> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. All oh, right. No, I have to be very careful how I deal with these plants because, of course, mm -hmm. I have to have a license to um, from the Home Office in order to do this experiment. So I have to do everything properly. It seems like a great job, though. Well, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great job because and I've been very lucky to be in it at, at the very phases of the um, expansion of the cannabinoid research yeah. field. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been really very, very nice for me see that happening it's great because the endocannabinoid yeah. system is still a recently new discovery in medical science right it's getting increasingly of increasing interest that's right yes mm -hmm. so um the various approaches are um to um come up with drugs which uh, increase the levels of endocannabinoids because they're often released in a protective way not always but often in a protective way so if you boost their levels then you 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 will increase their ben beneficial effects or prolong their beneficial because endocannabinoids are cannabinoids made naturally by the human body, right? They're made naturally in our human body, for example, in our neurons, in our nerves, in the brain, right. and also elsewhere. And um, they're often uh, so they're synthesized and uh, released, synthesized on demand. They're not stored, but they're synthesized when they're needed. Wow. And then, and then released, very, very quickly synthesized, then released, and then taken up again and broken down. Um, so, but what you can do is to stop the breaking down, uh, you can boost their levels. And uh, there are a couple of enzymes in particular which are targeted fatty acid hydrolase or FAR for uh, anandamide. And for the 2AG, um, it's uh, another, an, another compound that's uh, another drug that's used monoacylglycerol lipase MAGL. And they, they are synthetically made, are they? They're, they're made synthetically, that's right. right. Yes, yes. Uh, but I, um, I quite felt like the idea of um, the, uh, of modifying the effects of released endocannabinoids by boosting their actions at CB1 and CB2 mm -hmm. using the endoc using the um, allosteric modulation that I mentioned earlier. Do um, any other animals? Well, I suppose they do have endocannabinoid systems, don't they? Like the mice do. Otherwise, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I did yeah. read that worms have an endocannabinoid system too. Yeah. 
interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 what's one interesting thing about the endocannabinoid system and the those enzymes I mentioned is that in some people, um, those enzymes don't function properly. For ge they're genetically modified. Right. Um, not okay. just just by accident, accidentally, not on purpose. And this could mean that some people can get high easier than others. Well, some people um, have higher levels than normal of um, anandamide, for example. Right. And uh, there was a thing in the newspapers, and it was also in a scientific uh, publication about one lady in Inverness, actually, just north of Aberdeen, and um, she has high higher than normal levels of anandamide, and she says she always feels happy. Happy go lucky, she says, right. and um, she has um, bad uh, jo joints. She's got pain in the joints, but she doesn't feel that pain. Um, so she's mm. got d damaged joints, but she doesn't feel the pain, and um, she, and that's because of probably of the endocannabinoids, which are there at higher than normal mm. levels. Wow. Um, one problem is she doesn't feel pain, and so yeah. um, in in the kitchen, for example, sometimes she smells burning meat. Oh, and it's actually her yes. burning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's, she's burnt herself um, on 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 the stove. So she feels no pain at all. Doesn't feel the pain. No, oh. no. Yeah. So pain is there to protect you as well as to mm -hmm. as well as, as for other reasons. That's crazy, and that's all done by the chemical in her brain. What's it called? And that and anandamide was anandamide or and two AG maybe as well, but certainly anandamide. I think I think it, the enzyme was fatty acid methylase. It's the one which was genetically modified. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's happened spontaneously. It wasn't, uh, I think, genetic mutation. Yeah, genetic mutation. That's right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of could explain how some people are less uh, likely to feel pain, suffer pain than others. Then maybe they've yes. got higher levels of. I think so. I think it's something that'd be really worth worthwhile exploring further. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting. interesting. I think people um, uh, and uh, are of, can be non-scientific people can be very valuable source of information. Yeah. So there's people like uh, that lady. There's also people who self-medicate with cannabis. I think we need to really get much more information. Yeah, from there's them. a lot who do a hell of a because lot. they have no other choice. <laughs> so, yeah. so it'll be interesting to know why they take it and mm -hmm. what the benefits are and why they don't take a standard medicine, etc. Um, mm -hmm. And how they take it and etc. etc. Mm -hmm. And which strain do they take and what have you. Yeah. Um, I, I was involved with one um, patient once back in the 1990s. Um, she was a lady who used to write in newspapers and uh, she was a journalist actually. But she had to give it up because of, she got multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And um, so um, I interacted with her because she was taking cannabis and she wrote about it in the newspaper. She didn't use her real name because she didn't want to get arrested because it was of course illegal at that time to take cannabis, mm -hmm. but she took it. And um, so I, I got in touch with her and talked with her about it. And uh, she, she knew of a, um, a patient organization she's involved with um, both in the UK and also in the USA, and uh, which was a group of patients who self-medicated for multiple sclerosis. Mm. And so some colleagues and I got in touch with those people through her. She forwarded our, our letters to them and um or our emails i can't remember now we had emails at that time yeah. and uh, <laughs> and uh, we were able to publish a paper on that so the anecdotal claims about mm -hmm. cannabis for multiple sclerosis but did it not go anywhere from there it, it did i think it helped to encourage um uh the government to um to 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 um, not to change the law but to 
recommend that clinical trials should be carried out yeah. to, to, to test and to see whether in fact it was a genuine thing or not. And of course, GW Pharmaceuticals came along around that time uh -huh. and they developed um, a cannabis-based medicine for multiple sclerosis. <laughs> I don't know oh, to what right, extent yeah. they, I don't know to what extent they were influenced by uh, that report which we wrote, but it surely helped them. It mm -hmm. strength, strengthened their case for getting their drug approved as a medicine. Certainly did. Yeah. It, it was all a bit back to front because uh, at the end of the day, we did the science about it, but we didn't do that until all, everything else had happened. Yeah. So, so normally the science starts everything off. This time, the science happened at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was work carried out uh, in research. It was research led by a group down in London. I was I collaborated with them because I knew about cannabinoids, and. Um, so we published uh, the findings on that in animal models of multiple sclerosis. Wow. And it's it's shocking, but it's still, I mean, you must have worked with thousands of patients who have had, well, I, I don't know, you've interviewed people who use cannabis as medicine throughout your years and seen cases like this often, not just with MS, but maybe epilepsy as well and other ailments like that. No, I haven't very often, no, because right. I'm, I, 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 I do um, basic science, preclinical research mainly. Hmm. But uh, that, this was an exception with this lady okay. um, I, I worked with. And um, also, of course, uh, at, at conferences, I do occasionally meet patients because some um, societies have patient groups mm -hmm. and the patients come along to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was another example um, I wasn't involved with it, but um, of um, a lady who, used to, who got in the newspapers a year or two ago because she was giving cannabis to her young son who had um, cattle, uh, had um who had um, so, epilepsy. So Hannah Deacon, and, is it? What? Uh, Hannah Deacon, maybe? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and she, she used to go to the Netherlands to get her cannabis yeah. and then give it to her young son because he was uh, had this terrible um, uh, epilepsy, mm -hmm. which meant he'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming. And uh, it was, and we could, there was no really way of dealing with that particular kind of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. But she found cannabis did that. And that she interacted with the government and it was i think partly because of her mm -hmm. that the law was changed definitely yeah 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 we're starting to hammer aren't we yeah so do you know of any studies being done like, like official studies and because we hear it a lot when when people say it works for my back pain and look, the doctor won't give it to me because there's just not enough evidence yeah, is there any real here. studies being done to make sure that they have evidence to say that yeah we can use cannabis to treat childhood epilepsy I don't know, but I, 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 I am familiar with the literature, of course, and mm -hmm. I'd, be, I'd be able to identify any evidence if there was any. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It yeah, definitely does work. Yeah, plenty um, of anecdotal evidence. Yeah, definitely. There's yeah, a lot, and, and, it's re and I think it's very important, really, to, as I say, to um, seek out people who are self-medicating and find out why they're doing it, and what mm -hmm. their claims are, and then one can do clinical studies to see if it's true or not. Yeah. Um, because of course you can have a placebo effect as well. Like maybe that it's not really the mm -hmm. drug working at all. Indeed. But, um, so, and then it's one can of course optimize it by finding out which would be the best. Um, would it be best to give just cannabis? If so, which strain? Or would it be best to give a particular cannabinoid? Just one of them, or um, maybe a, a collection of them, one, two or more, mm -hmm. as GW did for um, multiple sclerosis, where they gave yeah. THC cannabidiol together. Yeah, we've heard this before from uh, Ed Rosenthal, I think we spoke about it, where medicines will be more dosed a particular amount of each cannabinoid going into to make a, a specific dose for a certain thing. Yeah, that's right. So, 
Yeah. What about terpenes as well? Have you done any more research on ter- any research on terpenes? Because they seem oh, to be. No, no, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they are. No, I've, I've just focused on the phytocannabinoids. That mm-hmm. was quite enough for me. Oh yeah, indeed. <laughs> Even the words complex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't worked on it all of them either. There's over 120 um, mm-hmm. phytocannabinoids in, can- in in cannabis, an awful lot of them. Yeah, so far. Yeah. Do you think that they'll find more? Oh, I expect uh, one or two yeah. more will appear. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, maybe in some strains, but not in other strains of uh, cannabis. Periodic table of cannabinoids. Yeah, yeah. No, well, yes. why not? Yeah. <laughs> I bet that's a post already. <laughs> if not, I'll have to edit that out of the interview, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make that <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. And of course, there's, there's the, the um, question of to what extent would it be good to give a synthetic cannabinoid rather than a, mm-hmm. a natural cannabinoid? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because <clears throat> it, we see that, uh, I mean, as cannabis users ourselves, we see that the reason why, well, we think the reason why it isn't legal yet, in the UK at least, is because of big pharma. We see how much of a difference it makes to people's lives when it's used as a medicine. And then yeah. that money will be taken out of big pharma's bucket. So big pharma bribes the government no, Tim for a moment. We don't really believe this stuff, you know, but maybe we do. We're just yeah. unsure. Yeah. There was a big pharma pay the government to keep it illegal so they can push prescription drugs onto people when cannabis can do a good job to at least relieve the symptoms of many problems people might have. Mm. Yeah. What do you That's think? A- Are you being paid off? Is that what it is, <laughs> Professor? I'm a, no comment. No comment. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, a, yeah. I'm only unpaying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there, there may be sometimes um, a strong case for using a synthetic rather than a plant cannabinoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, one example of that is uh, actually cannabidiol for a particular disorder. Yeah. Uh, it's what we we did. And we found that um, cannabinoid can enhance the activation of serotonin receptors, 5-HT1A serotonin receptors. And in collaboration with a group in uh, Canada, we were able to um, show that uh, it acted in that, through that mechanism to reduce anxiety and to, um, to reduce nausea and vomiting of chemotherapy. Mm. And we also found that uh, cannabidiolic acid, which is also in, can- in cannabis, mm-hmm. but it's a precursor of cannabidiol. So cannabidiolic acid breaks down to cannabidiol, particularly when the plant's heated. Mm. Decarboxylated. Um, yes, decarboxylated. And uh, the, the cannabidiolic acid worked even better than uh, cannabidiol, interestingly. Wow. Uh, so it had a, um, it was more potent. And it had a broad, the cannabidiol had what's called a bell-shaped dose response curve, which meant uh, it worked in a certain dose range, but not at higher doses or at lower doses. And um, so it had a bell shape and this bell shape was quite narrow, but cannabidiolic acid had a much broader bell shape, still bell shaped, but broader. Hmm. <clears throat> Trouble with cannabidiolic acid is that it's um, unstable. Is this the same with THC as well? Because there's THC and THCA, same thing with, uh, yeah. you know, THC with the acid pre- on the end. That's the precursor of THC in cannabis as well. That's right. Yeah. To and become CBT- psychoactive, THC <clears throat> needs to lose the the acidity, right? It needs to be. No, no, no. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the, the most of THC in the plant is this THC acid. Right. And then it, it, so it's a precursor, the natural precursor of THC. Um, so anyway, the CBD acid's not really stable. So although it looked like a good drug otherwise, so we came up with a synthetic analog of cannabidiolic acid, um, where we methylated the carboxyl group, 
And that was work done by Rafi Mishulam again, with whom we collaborated on that. And we came out with a compound which worked, it worked in, 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 in um, animal experiments, at least it worked even better than cannabidiolic acid. Wow. It was more potent, more potent, and again, had a nice broad um, bell-shaped response curve. So it could well be that um, that, that uh, methylated form of uh, cannabidiolic acid uh, might be a very good medicine for um, relieving anxiety and uh, against chemotherapy of uh, cancer treatment, get cancer chemotherapy treatment. So how but, do you guys do that? Take the, uh, <coughs> the CBDA and how do you convert it into a synthetic form? How, how does that work? Um, that was work done in Rafi Mishulam's lab. So I don't know the details of that. Right, right. Uh, I thought you might, you might have known that. that. That's interesting how they yeah. do that. I always imagine they've got like a blueprint and they're building it with a pair of tweezers and some DNA <laughs> sticks or something. <laughs> <laughs> so how do they do that? That's amazing. That is. Well, the only thing you have to do is add a methyl group to the carboxyl group. So hmm. CO, COOH and the compound becomes COO methyl instead. Okay. So it's a very minor change. So they may start with CBD acid and then just add the methyl group. I just don't know. Hmm. But that, that would... I would have thought would be one way of doing it. Um, so um, it's possible that in this, so that's an example of where a synthetic compound might be um, better. Interestingly, um, there's a group in Brazil who showed that uh, CBD um, relieves anxiety in humans as well. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, which is intriguing. I agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what they did was they, the model they used was uh, healthy people. Um, and they uh, exposed them to um, the stress of um, public speaking, actually. Okay. So public speaking stress, and the stress was much less if um, they had cannabidiol. Hmm. So um, maybe we yeah. should smoke more CBD before the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and interestingly, interestingly, uh, the, the the dose response curve for that that effect was bell shaped again. That oh we right. Found. So that suggests that it's the same mechanism and may involve yeah. um, the serotonin. Uh, receptor as well so you think that is the same across many cannabinoids Does it seem to be a, a trait they all have no 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 just yeah. um uh, cbd okay uh, i don't know to extent to which other ones do i know that cannabigerol blocks that receptor so it has the opposite effect as i mentioned mm. earlier so um it's a phytocannabinoid in that other sense that's interesting mm. Have you well? We've all seen cannabis change on this side of the market, anyway, in the recreational field. Cannabis has changed a lot over the last fifty years. Have you yeah. seen it change a lot in the lab as well? Um, not really. No, I, I work yeah. mainly with uh, pure compounds. I don't yeah, work with cannabis. I don't work with cannabis. No, mm -hmm. just work. No, and very, mainly with synthetic compounds, actually, okay. rather rather than extracts of synthetic cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. um, Occasionally, I've worked with uh, extracted ones um, in, in a collaboration with GW Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. That's cool, man. Working in yeah. collaboration with GW Pharma. Yeah. <laughs> They've infiltrated the show. They'll <laughs> <laughs> be sponsoring us next. <laughs> and you also edited a book, uh, the, the Handbook of Cannabis. Yeah, um, there's a copy of it here. Hang on. Oh, we've got a copy. Let's have a look. So this that, seems that's... like a, an in-depth book. Wow. So that's it there. It's quite a thick, thick that's book. Whoa, volume. look yeah. at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Didn't even know there was a handbook of cannabis, to be fair. Yeah, it's extensive as well. It's got a lot of stuff yeah. in there, right? Yes, Oxford University Press. Now, I was very lucky to be asked to, to edit that. 
so uh, I didn't write all the chapters. It was a, mm -hmm. a multi-author and some great uh, scientists in there. Wow. There's also stuff GW Pharmaceuticals about how to grow the cannabis um, for um, making medicines. There's the basic pharmacology. There's the therapeutics as well. Up to, it's about, oh, I can't remember now when it was, um, I can't remember when it, when, when it was uh, published. 2014. But, Thank you very much. Yeah, I was no going to say about. <laughs> I'm about, looking at it now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say about ten years ago, but it seems a bit less than that. But good, that's good. So, um, but it's an interesting um, one to look at because it tells you what was happening at that particular yeah. time, and so it's a useful uh, milestone, as it were. Uh, another milestone one is this book here called um, this one here. I don't know if you can see it. called marijuana okay. Okay. and uh, I contributed to that together with my boss in Oxford at the time so it's this is quite an old book from the uh, early, from the 60s I think or early wow. 70s and um, that was uh, edited by Rafi Mishulam and it's an interesting book because it tells you really what the situation was at that time mm. so it's an interesting milestone as well milestone book mm. um, my boss and I worked on that in Oxford. We used to work together in the evenings in his office. And um, I mention this because at that time, um, there were problems with power. There were strikes everywhere right, yeah. in, in, in the UK. Yeah. And so uh, we had to work by candlelight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there was no power, no power, so we had to work well, by candlelight. I, I, I remember those power, power outages. Yeah. I do remember every uh, time the candles coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's definitely. right. This was, yeah. this was the 70s, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, I remember the, them well. Early 70s, yeah. Yeah. About 71, 72, something like that. I wasn't around then. <laughs> <laughs> I was only a baby, but I, I do remember them well. Mm, yeah. 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 But it was, uh, it was just fun doing that book. And that's when I first got into it. It was really through my boss that we got involved with that book, Machine mm -hmm. Book. But that's when I got to know him. And then I met him at meetings and so on. He was an amazing guy. He was the one who discovered the structure of THC. Wow. Uh, the and, actual uh, Delta 9. Delta 9 THC, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the wow. only man on the list above you. No, I seen it first. <laughs> so, so, Find so, his keepers. So, so he, was, he was a medicinal chemist. So I suppose um, he got to name that as well. Hmm? Because he discovered THC, he did. He got to name it tetrahydrocannabinol. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Right. Uh, I think I think it, it had been discovered before, but the structure wasn't known. But it had been okay. discovered in the 30s, I think. Oh wow! Yeah, I think, but I'd have to double check that. What's your stance on legislation in the UK for? Med I mean, it's already legal for medical use now. <clears throat> but and what do you think of the medical market right now as well? I, I think it's a good thing. I think the government is doing the right thing to think positively about cannabinoids rather than negatively. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, for, for medical use, I think there are st standard ways of keeping that safe, aren't there? Um, so that's okay. Um, I think uh, maybe younger people shouldn't be allowed to take it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, adolescents and young adults also maybe not because of, it can affect uh, the development of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. which can be can be a bad thing i think recreationally is another matter i think it's uh i'm i'm in two minds about whether it should be legalized recreationally mm -hmm. um i think at the moment it's bad because um people do take it recreationally even though it's illegal yeah um they still do it 
Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no control over the age at which you take it. Yeah, this, this is or, one of the big problems with prohibition, indeed. Yeah, and there's no control over what kind of cannabis you take, right. uh, strain. And one day you may come to get it from from a from a supplier. It's a particular strain. Next time it may be quite a different strain, mm-hmm. with yeah. with more or less THC in it, etc., or different or ratios. Mold in it, pesticides. And then that's the other problem, quite right, that you mentioned yeah. that um, pesticides. Yeah, yeah pesticides or it may have been it's right contaminated with other mm-hmm. other other drugs as well this is why we choose to grow our own because we have a safe supply then yeah we, we supply we know how it's grown what's gone into it what strain it is and when yeah. you do it all yourself it's a much safer way to supply yourself with cannabis yeah 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 yes gw are a great um um very skilled at growing cannabis mm-hmm. um and keeping the strain um same from generation to generation mm-hmm. yeah. they do that by transferring i think the genes from generation to generation we don't don't think we let, let it grow naturally from generation to generation it's done by using uh, genes oh wow but, you, but if you read the handbook you'll see all about that that's right we need to check that handbook out yeah yeah, yeah. because the the one who led the um the growing of uh, gw cannabis uh, co-authored or authored the chapter on that all oh, right that's interesting I mean, yeah. a big company in the UK and there's a lot of cannabis users out there in the UK who are very skeptical of them because they're also involved with uh, British sugar as well and some conspiracies going on there. Just People are very untrustworthy of GW Pharma. Really? I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And especially the fact that they're allowed to grow cannabis and nobody else is allowed to. Uh, one of the big arguments you hear a lot online is how cannabis was illegal in the UK for medicine. But GW Pharmaceuticals was growing loads of it and, and was one of the biggest suppliers to the world's medical market. Well, they had to, they, they got their medicine approved. Yeah. And then they were allowed to um, to grow it. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. They got it approved. That's it. I think, and, and I imagine they had to get it approved before they could uh, grow the cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they were growing it in the UK and we wasn't allowed yeah, any. Well, and we was all very upset by that, we were, Professor. No, it, it, was the fact, it, it was the fact that your, your man from the government and his wife had... Uh, his wife was the, the minister for drugs at the time, Victoria. Yeah. Um, and she was all uh, no-no to legalisation. And he was, secretly fun, he was secretly putting money through GW Pharmaceuticals to enable this cannabis grow at the time. And when it turned out that... Allegedly, allegedly. No, 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 not allegedly. <laughs> There's actual evidence of this. And when it turned out that he was actually doing it and it came out into the public eye and everybody was going, oh, no, you can't do that, mate. They sold their, their crop to the Americans. Mm. Oh. So he had nothing to do with it then, so his hands were clean. <laughs> Coincidental, maybe, yeah, yeah. but... I don't do coincidence. So do you see it being legalised recreationally in the UK? Or do you think the government's going to hold it off for as long as possible? Well, it's a, it's a very difficult situation. I, I'm not yeah, sure how yeah. much it's used recreationally. I imagine quite a bit. A lot, yeah. You'd, yeah, you'd know. In which case, I think you want to make it as safe as possible. Indeed. And to do that, I think it's best if one could have um, approved products that, that can be sold I mean, cannabidiol is sold, of course, from yeah. shops legally. Because we have the same concerns. We don't want children getting old. There's plenty of scientific evidence to say using cannabis a lot in the adolescent yeah. stages of life can have lasting brain damage. Yeah. That's you right. Know, not oh, massive, yeah. but you know it can cause problems, and you don't want that to happen. It's just like alcohol. Don't let kids have it. 
it's no, that's for right. adults. You know? That's right. No, exactly. I think one wants to follow on from how alcohol is treated as a, mm -hmm. um, as a product yeah. and have the same thing for cannabis. Um, one of the problems, though, is, is, is the... Uh, for the, what need, if that happens, what be good is to uh, come up with a safe way of taking it. Mm. Um, and whether that's yeah. smoke, we don't smoke. want to encourage people to smoke at the end of the day, do we? No, no. Yeah. So we need to think of some better way of, of taking it. Vaporizing um, seems to be very popular nowadays. Yes, vaping is is, is one possibility, although mm. that can have damage, produce damage as well. I think. Mm. But um, so that's uh, quite a challenge, I think. But um, in the meantime, it's probably still worth legalizing it to make it at least safer than the situation is when mm -hmm. it's illegal. Yeah, make it safer and less access. Because uh, we know it's illegal in this country, but it's easy to access. You can get it anywhere. You just have to ask a few yeah. people. It doesn't matter how old you are. No, no. Yeah. So so it's best to, I think, have some uh, approved products mm -hmm. that can be sold. That's just right. like just like uh, cannabidiol is uh, sold. In the, again, with cannabidiol, there are lots of different products, I think. Because mm -hmm. there's no, I don't know if there's any... Um, um, if if any particular kinds of cannabidiol have been approved, or whether just any old cannabidiol can be sold, I don't know. We have got these like these private clinics, um, the Sapphire clinics that have sprung up in a few places throughout the UK. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that the the cannabis that they're supplying to their medical patients, the quality is absolutely dire. We've had patients mm -hmm. with like mold on their 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 so-called medicinal supply yeah. that they're paying quite a lot of money for. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. We've heard that a lot as well. People just don't want to. They prefer to go to the legacy market and get it yeah. from a drug dealer rather than get it from the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's just better quality for their money because they still have to pay for it too. Yeah, and they do need a medicine that works. Yeah, so, it's but, just uh, that's a strange that's, one. That's ridiculous. That needs to be sorted out, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I think times are changing. The, the, the government is opening their eyes to it, but the process is slow. Yeah. yeah. As with everything. Mm -hmm. Well, no, not really. Not everything, everything. Some things are really quick to come in to force, and others are very, very slow. Oh, you're going out. You're going to say that C no, word, aren't you? It. Don't not, do it, no, man. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not going to say Don't it. Don't say it. Don't say I'm it. not going to say it. <laughs> So do you still go into the office every day as well? Well, there's been COVID. I, I've been in lockdown for uh, for since March last year, actually. Oh, <clears throat> so yeah. a long time. Did you get out much? Yeah. <laughs> what, sorry? Do, well, do long, you get long... out much to do anything like just go for a walk, walk the dog or something? I don't know. Well, I, I occasionally go for a walk. Yeah, otherwise mm -hmm. I, I work at home. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's my, on my computer and stuff. And uh, I give talks occasionally, but uh, online. Oh, cool. Yeah. And of course, I'm still involved in um, certain societies, so cannabinoid societies. So um, I co-founded the what's called the International Cannabinoid Research Society. I don't know if you know of that one, yeah. ICRS. Wow. Yeah. So in 1992, I think it was, we had our first meeting. Uh, that was actually in uh, Colorado. Um, on the, oh, it's on so cool, man. It's like most people you hear about who do things like you do <clears throat> are, are cannabis users themselves. But you know, you're just a scientist, man. Yeah, Doing I'm interested. It. I'm interested in it for for scientific reasons, mm. really. It's awesome. And, uh, and and therapeutic potential as well. Uh, yeah, we had our uh, our first uh, meeting actually was uh, high up on a mountain. Um, so it was, it was the Continental Divide, I think they call the mountain range there, wow. separates the west from the east of uh, USA, and um, 
it was high enough up there to have mountain sickness. Really, wow. <laughs> you, you had head, a headache and uh, had to walk very slowly. Oh, it's really high. <laughs> but oh, it's, but that's, it, that's the only time I got super high, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super yeah. high. <laughs> but it was really beautiful, and that's and that's where, as I said, we actually we um, na named anandamide anandamide. It was that, at that meeting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so then you were high when you named it, then, just in a different way. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably. <clears throat> It was the most impressive thing you've discovered throughout all your research. Something oh my goodness! Anything that's made you go wow? <laughs> uh, well, at the time, lots of things. You know, mm. when, when it happened, lots of things. I'd say, um, oh dear, uh, finding out about the pharmacology of THC—that uh, was quite exciting at the time. Um, uh, showing, proving that anandamide was uh, an endocannabinoid, very, very exciting. Mm. Um, because that made such a difference. The field was fading at that time. It was very difficult to get grants in the late 1980s right. because uh, the, uh, grant givers couldn't really see the point of working on cannabis or cannabinoids anymore. Right. But, th but then the receptors came along and then the endocannabinoids came along. And suddenly we had a uh, discovered, we a, field, um, a system in our own bodies had been discovered that produces cannabinoids. Mm. And of course, that was very exciting to, to know why that was and uh, the benefits and the risks of uh, that uh, uh, system. So um, that's interesting you'd say that because we wonder why there's a lot of uh, why the studies haven't already been done. And, and one, it's been federally illegal in the USA on schedule one, so they can't do the research. But maybe it is because they ju people just don't want to pay for it because it's illegal. People don't want to pay for the research. But obviously times have changed now. Well, it, 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 it changed once the uh, once the anandamide came along and the and the receptors came along. The, uh, that changed so in the nineteen nineties. Suddenly, there was a lot of research money mm. available, and from then on, that, that's been the situation. And that was down to more, you. Well, partly, but yeah. partly, but also to many other people as well. Mm -hmm. the the teamwork and all that yeah. receptors and so on, different yeah. groups and so on. Yeah, standing on the shoulders of the giants. Well, we were standing on each other's shoulders. That's right. Indeed, yes, yeah. yes. And, and, we, used to, and we, all, we all used to meet up at uh, the ICRS meetings. Um, uh, in fact, some of my colleagues actually, um, you, you know about designer drugs, do you? Designer drugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or illegal highs. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, 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 some of the, those chemicals were made by uh, friends of mine who, who were uh, doing legitimate research. And they, they were, we were interested, of course, all of us in, in coming up with uh, nice, strong agonist drugs, which can act even more strongly than THC, mm. but act in the same way, but for pharmacological reasons, not for any other reason. So uh, they, they came up with some of those compounds, the JW compounds and so on. And um, then what happened was that uh, they started appearing on the websites. Um, and what happened was my friend said, of course, when they, they published their results, they published how you make these drugs. So it was possible for people to read those papers and then to make them and then sell right. them. So they became on, they finished up on the web and uh, they were very dangerous, actually, because they activate the cannabinoid CB1 receptor much more strongly than THC. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, they can, in fact, they can kill people. Yes, and they have, like those. <laughs> no, no, no. Happened to a friend of mine. Well, he didn't die, but he was an everyday cannabis smoker for years. Smoked weed every day, like, yeah. like we do. And then he ran out of weed, 
and we got some uh went to a head shop and we found some of this this legal weed yeah. and we're like wow this is legal weed yeah. and you know if illegal weed isn't going to kill me then surely legal weed isn't going to kill me mm. so and he's rolled some of this up and he, he smoked loads of it because it's legal weed it's not going to be as strong as illegal weed you know so he yeah. smoked loads of it and then he's he's going to pass out he's getting heart palpitations wanted us to yeah. call him an yeah, ambulance yeah. and everything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, they're very dangerous because they, they, they target the cannabinoid receptor much mm -hmm. too strongly. So as you say, it can affect heart, but also other parts of the body, mm -hmm. like the, the kidney and so on. Dangerous. It, it's like, how did that get legal in the first place? It's just because it wasn't illegal. It's, yeah, because nobody knew about it, really. Yeah. It's yes, it, it, was, it wasn't legal. It was just not illegal, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. But it, it is illegal now, surely, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the law was changed, and it became they they became illegal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Good. Because people shouldn't be smoking that stuff, man. No. It's dangerous. No. That's right. Very dangerous. Mm. And then there was another example of a dangerous drug which came along, but this time from a drug company. Um, a company called Zenofi. Don't know if you've heard of the story. But no. uh, they came up with a drug, and it's well, why should it be dangerous? Because it's a drug which blocks the CB1 receptor. So um, it was called Ramonabant, and um, yeah. it was it was developed uh, to reduce obesity. Uh, because one of the things that endocannabinoids do is they mediate um, appetite for food and so on. Mm -hmm. So um, they they increase appetite for food, and um, the idea was to develop a drug which blocks that effect. So they developed from Monomant. They went through clinical trials, it worked. And then it was put into the clinic, but had to be withdrawn very, very rapidly because um, some of the patients who took it were became suicidal and a few oh, killed wow. them, and a few killed themselves. So it very oh, wow. made, made them feel very, very depressed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because it's what's called actually uh, an inverse agonist. So it can block the receptor, but it also switches off backgrounds activity of the receptor so some of these receptors like cb1 receptor even if you don't activate it there's some background signaling going on yeah and so so some back background activity so it's like idling in the background all the idling time. in the background and, and you throw uh, some fuel in there and you <laughs> and the remote about stops that happening yeah so so you um the, and remember as i say the endocannabinoid system is uh, protective so redu reducing protection from the endocannabinoid system in that way and that affects the mood and it's oh, so made complex, them, isn't it? Made them depressed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, I do remember that as it goes. Yeah, yeah. So that was really, really sad because it was a, a good company, and mm -hmm. um, it's, mm -hmm. and uh, it was quite exciting when they came because they came up with it was really the first antagonist I think to come along, and it made it was great for pharmacologists because we now had a tool we could use to um, block the receptors in our experiments. Yeah. Mm. Did you ever use any of the? Did you use it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's on fine. The mice and... Yeah, it's fine. To, and in vitro, it's fine. To, it's fine to, as a and still available as a as a tool, experimental tool. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but other ones have come along since then. Um, someone I collaborate with, um, um, Dr. Macrianis, Professor Macrianis in the USA, he came up with come come up with compounds called AM compounds. Is Alexander Mac? Macrianus AM compounds and uh, including uh, antagonists of uh, CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors as well. And I had the opportunity to work with those compounds too. Wow, cool. Sweet. So you've never considered smoking or growing. Do you have friends or family who, who use cannabis? Do you know anybody who use cannabis medically? 
Not that I know of, apart mm. from um, some of the patients I've met at meetings. Right. And um, but not not in not not locally. And uh, and that lady I mentioned right at the beginning uh, earlier on, um, who took it for multiple sclerosis. I knew I knew her. She used to come to meetings as well. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah. And obviously, well, only anecdotally, there's no real evidence to say it worked, but they would claim that it worked well for them. Yeah, and uh, as I say, it'd be interesting to get information from such people mm. and then to, to check it out in the clinic. Did you notice it, because you must have experimented with THC and CBD, did you experiment with each cannabinoid separately when you was experimenting with the mice? Yes, separate. I was doing it mainly separately. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. I can't remember if we did together as well. Probably, possibly, we did because uh, cannabidiol can affect the response to THC. Yes, mm -hmm. it's what's called an allosteric modulator of um, effects of THC. So, so say using a THC and a CBD strain because you can get both now. You can get either THC, well, THC dominant or CBD dominant strains, but you can get strains that have a mix of both: fifty percent THC, fifty percent CBD. Yeah, but I, I don't use I don't use the strains. I use uh, pure compounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. But people using that medicine, they they experience a different high. Would it be enhanced because of the two cannabinoids together, or suppressed? Suppressed, I think, because the CBD blocks the um, THC effects, uh, which produce the high. Yeah. Interesting. Although at the same time, CBD will affect the metabolism of uh, THC as well, so that may uh, have the opposite effect. Well, I, I didn't know it was so complex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh it's, yeah, yeah. Can have a nice spirit. Very complex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's strange. Did you ever experiment with THCV versus uh, normal THC with the yeah. with the mice? Was there a difference in the effect they had? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> what we found initially, actually, which was strange, was that THCV seemed to be an agonist at CB1. Um, I developed an assay called the ring test, which uh, you, you, it measures the cataleptic effect of uh, THC. Um, catalepsy is where the animal goes, stops moving, goes um, rigid. So essentially you give them so much THC that they don't move and then... Well, they move, they, they can still move around, but they, right. they, they alternate between moving and going off into a, a trance-like state. Okay. Either across the ring, I, I, I built a, had a ring test. So I developed um, a ring on the end of a, a metal stalk right. uh, and then put the mouse on top of that. And it would wander around a bit and then it would go off into a trance-like state for a bit, either lying across the ring or even hanging by its forepaws from well, the, from the ring. How do I sign off for that study? And then it would continue walking around again and you can measure the proportion of time it was inactive and the, the bigger the dose, the bigger the proportion of time Whoa. it was inactive. And uh, THCV was also active in that assay, which I was, I was surprised about. Because yeah. subsequent, I became surprised about because subsequently we found that THCV really was a CB1 antagonist, so it really blocks the effect. So I think it what it is is it's got some weak efficacy as an agonist, but it's not very strong. Right. Are you, are you dosing these by body weight, the mice? Yes. It, yes. Right. Yes. So yes. what 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 kind of like percentage by body weight of the dose did you actually give them then to to cause this? Oh, I can't remember the dose. Uh, no. no, no, it was a few milligrams per kilo, but I can't remember. 
Mm. Oh, the mouse mm. is not a kilo, of course, it's only a few no, grams, no. but uh, milligrams yeah. per kilo. So it was quite a quite a low dose, and it was given um, either uh, intraperitoneally or into, into, into the peritoneum, in other words, or intravenously into a tail yeah. vein. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, eventually, we used to also uh, give it directly into the brain uh, through a cannula, which we wow. would, would implant into the brain and give it that way as well. Wow. But after then, a while, uh, them lab rats won the lab rat lottery, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but after a while, I stopped working with in vivo experiments and just made, became in vitro, yeah. partly because uh, you, it's more clear cut what answers you get and, and what the mechanisms are and that sort of thing. Right. And also, it became increasingly difficult to do research in vivo, but for re for regulatory reasons. So, I just uh, did in vitro. So, have you ever stuff, suffered any stigma? for working in cannabis working with cannabis um i don't think so no 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 not in the in your professional field or anything like that that's cool no, not really um no that's good because you, you'd, you'd expect it sometimes from the professional field because a lot of people just don't know about cannabis and it, like we said the endocannabinoid system is a recently new discovery in the medical field as well yeah so, so somebody has to do it don't they mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I enjoyed enjoyed doing it. Not not because I took the cannabis, but because I enjoyed the research and the yeah. science. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing plant. It's, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, cannabis in general is just amazing, man. Yeah. Is there any other plants? There's a few plants, but not many that produce cannabinoids. Or is it? There's cannabis and anything else. I think for the cannabinoids, it's just cannabis. I think. Wow. But there may be other compounds which produce um, drugs which can target the cannabinoid receptor right okay then they're not phytocannabinoids right because um, so that's crazy how you know all mammals pretty much have an endocannabinoid system and the yeah. only plant that can produce cannabinoids as far as we know is cannabis yeah that, that's it's like how, how did that happen evolution yeah. is a genius yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It must have been. I mean, I suppose you wouldn't know that's not your kind of research, but it must have been evolving alongside humans, mammals, primates for millions of years. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but other plants, as I say, they may produce drugs which can target the cannabinoid system. Hmm. But um, so it's not just cannabis. There may be other plants too which can do that. But so the but, endocannabinoid uh, system can be stimulated by other things, not just cannabinoids. I think that's right. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, because there's still a lot of research to be done on the endocannabinoid system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We, we spoke to Dr. Peter Grinspoon. He's, oh uh, yes, yes, I USA. know. And yeah. He said when he was in medical school, they they teach it what like in one lesson for about 30 minutes or something over the whole university course just yeah i, I hope yeah. that's changed now because you know as we get to know more about it and it becomes more important people are going to have to learn about it in medical school surely well exactly uh, just as I, I was going to say i do hope that uh, the medical schools change and start having it on their curriculum mm -hmm. um so important because um not only for the, the the medical side of it, but also recreational side, and people who come up with problems because of recreational use, because they they have to be treated in hospital as well. Right, you and do I, a lot of lecturing. I used to. I, uh, I, I, I'm really retired now from lecturing. I'm right. I'm an emer what's called an emeritus professor now. Right. So I was wondering if you've noticed any increase 
in people doing this kind of course, learning about cannabinoids over the last five, 10 years? I don't think there's been, but I could no. be wrong. But I don't, it depends on the, maybe on the university. Some universities may do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they should. Definitely. Well, plenty, plenty being done in the states like that, and they've got university courses all about growing cannabis and how learning all the ins and outs about that. Yeah, yeah, and in South America as well, I think there mm-hmm. are there's a lot of interest in uh, in uh, educating physicians and so on. It's a huge market to open up. Yeah. And when it happens in the UK, it'll be good for us. It'll be good for the economy at least. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What yeah, do you cause... think is going to happen in the future? Do you see? You know, do you have any predictions for the way cannabis is going to go? Is it going to go uh, turn out like coffee eventually, or will it will it be more controlled than that? Well, I think I hope it's controlled like uh, alcohol, more like alcohol, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but not exactly like alcohol. I think it should have its own set of rules. Yeah, yeah. but um, but it should be um, stri- strictly controlled. Um, and as far as medical use is concerned, I say it'd be interesting to see which particular plant cannabinoids um, appear, and uh, also to what extent clean, uh, uh, um, to what extent synthetic compounds are developed. We've mentioned, I mentioned a few of those earlier. Another example is um, a synthetic compound, um, which was uh, studied by a group in the USA, uh, led by Dr. El Soli, who's down in Mississippi. And they come up with a synthetic analog of um, THC. And uh, it's what's called a prodrug. It's not, it's not active like THC, but it can break down to form THC, which is active. But what's interesting about it is that it's water soluble. So, so it's what's called a water-soluble prodrug, and um, it can be um, added to the eye, so it can be dropped onto the eye. <laughs> it then travels through the eye, breaks down to THC, and can lower pressure in the eye. So it could, it could be used for treating glaucoma, Whoa. which would be very interesting. Um, it's uh, it's had a, a long group added onto the THC molecule to produce this water-soluble compound. Interestingly, a few years earlier, we came up with a, in my lab, came up together with a collaboration with a medicinal chemist. We came up with a, and with a drug company too, actually, we came up with a water-soluble um, form of THC as well. And it's rather similar in structure. We published that. Wow. Um, uh, but it, but it, it, it showed that it might be possible for, we didn't know at the time or realize at the time, but it could well be that the compound we developed was similar to the El compound and that it was a prodrug. We knew it was active. We gave it to our animals. It was active, um, but it could be it was active because it had broken down to THC. We don't know mm. that. Didn't we? Didn't study that side of it. Wow, water soluble. Yeah, water soluble. How how do you get involved in like human trials for these tests? Do you need anybody? How, do, how can we apply? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I don't do uh, yeah, human, yeah. human clinical studies, but I, I yeah. as much as I can, I talk with, with the clinicians who do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still don't think I even would. You know, it's like, I'm fine with the weed I've got at home. Yeah. I, I don't want the science weed. I'm, I'm fine with my weed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what you might want to do one day is uh, get, get a whole lot of different cocktails of different weeds. Mm, one day try when them, uh, try them all out and see which one you like best. Yeah, well, the, the cannabinoid thing, you, you, you know, isolating each cannabinoid, I think that will be a big market in the future because that's yeah. something I'd be interested in. Yeah, being able yeah. to have, you know, a little bit extra THCV, put a bit yeah. of CBD in there. But then I didn't know that having this cannabinoid will 
block yeah, this receptor yeah. and that will activate it. So then yeah. they'll be fighting against each other because they're phytocannabinoids. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like you have to really choose carefully which cannabinoids you're using to get the right effects. Absolutely. It's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you, that's you uh, why the, the there's something called the entourage effect. I'm sure you know about it. Do you know about the entourage effect? I've heard just, about it, yes, yes, yeah, yes. It's yes. just different strains have different effects on people because of the different terpene levels. Yeah. But maybe it's, it is maybe partly down to the different balance of the cannabinoids because they all each have a different amount, yeah. just in different percentages. Absolutely. So yeah. maybe it's just the, the fine balance of, you know, that 0.2% CBG versus the 0.3% CBD, and you get that fine balance. And that's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah chemistry yeah i've never been good at it <laughs> and of course it's it's worth remembering that um when gw came out with their medicine uh, which contains mainly cbd and thc um that's not one plant they they get that from two plants mm -hmm. so one of the plants produces a lot of thc okay and the other plant produces a lot of cannabidiol mm. so they're they're two quite different plants and they uh, isolate they, the cannabinoids then they isolated the CBD from one, the one plant and the THC from the other plants, and then mix them together. Right, yeah. and that's how we how we did it. So we yeah. didn't make the they didn't make the the cannabidiol and THC chemically. They, they got the plant to make the compounds, produce the compounds, but they were separate plants plants producing mm. those two cannabinoids. It's the best way as well for medicines making it into oils like that because that's the only way you can accurately get a dose. Yeah, that's right. When it's isolated like that. Yeah, yeah. As you might smoke, like you said earlier, especially in the UK with the legacy market, you get some weeds one day and it'll be 14% THC and just mild. And then you might get something the next day up to 25%. Yeah. Which is just too much for some people. It's, yeah. 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 It can cause yeah. anxiety, paranoia, mm. have the opposite effect of what some people use it for. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. A regulated market is the future. It's, it's just for the safety of the consumer more than anything. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I, I'm really quite surprised that as I say, cannabidiol is just sold um, in shops and there's, there, there doesn't seem to be any regulation as to... Um, yeah, it's scary that, isn't it? Especially with it, with it having an effect on some of the medications you take being broken down by the liver. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, some may have THC as well in, mm. in, in, uh, as a, an additional product. I'm not sure if that's illegal or not. Yeah, Probably. THC is still illegal. Yeah, it's so, supposed to be uh, under 0.3%, but I can't see oh, how right. half yeah. the manufacturers can guarantee that, to be fair. No, no, no. And has anybody tested it? Uh, some of some people, private people, have been out and tested, like your Holland and Barrett strains and stuff, mm -hmm. um, uh, the CBD oil, um, and they've said there's not a lot of CBD in it, not half as much as uh, Holland and Barrett are claiming. I got some CBD Epsom salts a couple of weeks ago. You can get them for like two pound a bag, but it's pretty sweet. <laughs> and it, the bath. <laughs> it actually stank of weed. Yeah. It's, like, it's like I had an excuse, you know, if anybody's like, you smell of weed, it's like your yeah, Epsom salts. <laughs> <laughs> Epsom salts from Home Bargains Officer. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but it's in a lot of stuff, and you're seeing it all over the high street nowadays as well. So people are seeing the cannabis leaf around a lot. And they seem a lot more comfortable comfortable with it than you would have initially expected. Mm. I think everybody they, knows about it, though, don't they? Really, mm -hmm. it's been well, here for a while. Everybody knows somebody who uses cannabis and is a completely normal person. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and more than one person. 
it's uh it's pretty common especially where i am in the uk and the cn is every you've got to say about 25 percent of the adults are cannabis smokers that you know of and some people just keep it quiet because of the legal factor of it i do enjoy it though i must say it does it does sort my pains out most mm-hmm. definitely i said there's a lot of people who do use it for medicine and say that it does help but as you say placebo effects and all that that could it needs to be really studied so we can understand what's going on well it was a, it was a choice of uh, uh like high thc cannabis or tramadol for the rest of my life and i'd rather go with the cannabis to be fair mm, mm. i don't I like tramadol it doesn't does bad things for me mm. Mm. and the side effects of taking those pills as well yeah, that's what I mean. There's many, many side effects that I didn't actually want. <laughs> it's so, crazy the stories we've them. heard, Professor. It's like people who have been on 30 pills a day and they change over to cannabis, use cannabis for the first time, and they really? can pretty much stop taking all of their prescription medications. Alicia Mayer comes mm-hmm. to mind. Mm-hmm. She's just one of many. Yeah, Alfie, Alfie Dingley, you know, Hannah Deacon. She, uh, he Jim was on Finch. loads of pills. Jim Finch. There's, there's one to have a look at. The man with severe epilepsy who basically takes... Uh, Tourette's um, syndrome, isn't it? Oh, sorry, Tourette's syndrome. Yeah, but he's, he's got... Yeah, 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 yeah. It is Tourette's, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, is that... Is that uh, like, Tourette's involved the tics as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's well, what Tourette's is. Tourette's syndrome is where you have tics. Yeah. <clears throat> right, so he, he's, like, 100% tics every five seconds... And he takes literally a few off his vape and he's almost completely normal. He's talking, he's, he's, he's aware of like stuff that's going around him. It's unbelievable, the, the change. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable yeah. to yeah. see. Yeah, there is good evidence that it works for that, yeah. What do you think it is that, that makes that happen? It calms down like- the brain a little. Well, I imagine it's affecting the neurotransmission in the brain, but I, I, I'd have to look that up. Mm-hmm. It's not your kind of field. Well, it's, it's, it's on, in my database, but I, um, so I don't work on that myself. No. Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely think it calms my brain down. I've been a bit hyper-hyper since I was a kid. Um, mm. And it definitely calms me down because if I don't, I'm all over the place. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't think straight half the time. And that's not a case of like, because I haven't got any. Mm. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's a strange one. It's the way it, I, I think there's a bit of, um, I've got two kids with uh, uh, ADHD and autism. Um, and my eldest one, he was on uh, a, a big cocktail of drugs and they kept changing it and they kept altering it and giving him this one and giving him that one. Um, and it just turned him into a zombie. He'd sit in the corner dribbling. And he found cannabis and it turned out that cannabis did exactly the same thing for him without turning him into this dribbling wreck in the corner. Mm. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I get grief from it. My mum used to give me grief. How, how, I mean, because he was only like 14, 15 at the time. But I'm thinking it's got to be better than Ritalin and uh, the, the other two drugs that they were giving him at the time um, for him to smoke little bits of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. As as a parent, you've got to look at it from your kids' like quality of life point of view. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you got to consider the benefit to risk ratio, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I kind of did that for myself as well. I kind of thought, well, the the benefit risk of taking tramadol, there isn't really one, apart from the fact that it doesn't hurt as much. So, 
It seems to work best for a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. For a lot of things, you know, physical and mental issues. Yeah. Yeah. We've evolved alongside this plant for millions of years, man. It's like dogs. Like Dogs are our best friend. Human's best friend, you know. It's like cannabis is our best plant. (laughs) (laughs) So when when you take cannabis, do you find it affects your time sense? No. No, not really. No. 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 That's interesting. I mean, it's you'll find that there's there's two different types of cannabis users, really. There's the people who just smoke on the weekend and they'll smoke a couple of grams yeah. and they'll be asleep after that. And then there's people who use cannabis every day as if it was a cigarette rather yes. than yeah. smoking cigarettes. They'll smoke cannabis. And that's pretty much what I do, what CN does, what a lot yeah. of our listeners do. But you, like you say, you work up a tolerance level to it like the mice did. And yeah. then you can just function on on a, a level wavelength and you're not too hyperactive you're not too down you know if you use it for pain then you're not so much in pain as you usually are yeah. it just it, it like fine it restores balance it, it keeps balance and it's yeah. not one of those that puts you on your backside and makes you do nothing either like the uh, the, no. the the stereotypical image i mean mm-hmm. um up until this covid kicked in i was a full-time house builder mm-hmm. and i'd smoke all day so i mean so, it's 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 not affect well i won't say it's not affected me in any way it's not affected me in a in a in a, in a negative way let's say no um i find it, it kind of enhances um creativity as well sometimes so yeah I, definitely I like i can i can look at things with a different perspective mm. it's very strange it's it's very beneficial to me i love it mm-hmm. i really do and of course we're biased because of course you know, yeah we we have had good experience with cannabis well not everybody has and we're in an echo chamber as well. We always have to remember that. We're, when we do a podcast and you run a forum that's about cannabis, you're in, all you hear are other good stories about yeah, yeah. cannabis. And I'm sure there's plenty of bad stories out there as well, which you have to consider. But I think the biggest problem with cannabis all around the world is the, is the, uh, the control of it. The fact that it's illegal in so many places. If you're found with it, the, the worst effects the, the the more the most damage caused by cannabis is when you're found with it with by the police yeah. and then you know you'll suffer a criminal record which can have long-lasting effects on your career and can life-changing so you know i think when it's legalized and people can go out and try it uh, you, you know and not worry about having to meet a dodgy guy on the corner and whether it's going to be good they're going to get ripped off they're going to get mugged you know the these things that go through people's head when they go to pick up cannabis from an illegal market, when that changes and people can experiment with it, I think we'll find out a lot more as well. Yeah. There'll be more people yeah. using cannabis for medicine because they haven't tried it before. Yeah. And, and they do try it and they're like, oh, this actually works for me. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to um, really look at, for example, in the USA, where some of the states where that's happened mm-hmm. and see how it's changed things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, compare just- it with the states where that's not yet happened. Well, they keep legalizing, so it seems to be doing something well. Yeah. yeah. From what we've seen, it's all been good. There's the only problems people are having is too much regulation. It needs yeah. to be it needs to be treated like alcohol is treated. Mm. It's like right now you're only some places you're not allowed to grow your own. In places you are allowed to grow your own, you're only allowed four plants, and and you're only allowed this many grams and, and this and that. And it's just like you need to lift those restrictions. Mm. in my opinion you know mm. lift those restrictions and treat it more like alcohol you're allowed to have a home brew 
you, yeah. and nobody's telling you you can do this you can do that you can make your own homebrew as long as you don't go out and sell it to somebody mm. yeah. then it's not a problem and that should be the same principle with cannabis mm. and not everybody will do it you know there's going to be a few people but if it's open in the dispensary and the weekend smokers can go and pick up a 3.5 pack of cannabis nice and easily enjoy that over the weekend then they're happy with that but there's some people who will still enjoy growing their own mm. and you should be allowed to do that as long as you're not having an effect on anybody else in my opinion yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just differs so much everybody's yeah. opinion differs so much mm. but it's nowhere near as harmful as what people make out of this. Mm. it's what the uh, the establishment make out to be and that makes it dangerous in itself as well. The, the fact that they make, make out like it's so dangerous and you shouldn't do it. And then when these kids go out and try it, because that's what teenagers do. You reach a stage in your life where you rebel and you try these different things. And when they go out and try weed and it's like, hold on, this hasn't killed me. I haven't wanted to go and kill anybody or rob anything. Uh, let's try some cocaine. <laughs> you know? And that is dangerous, man, because cocaine is actually a dangerous drug. <laughs> Especially these days, there's mm-hmm. hardly any cocaine in it. Yeah, damn right. But, but even so, I think it would be it's probably best if younger people don't don't take cannabis. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I agree completely. Yeah, mm. it's, like, it's not it, going it, to stop them. I don't think you're going to stop them anyway. It's, well, yeah, you're not going to stop them. It's the same as alcohol. Kids do. Mm-hmm. Young kids will drink alcohol. They'll go to a party and tell their parents that they're stopping somewhere else. But the mm. the, the best way to solve that is better education. It better is. education for the, the kids. Better. Make them understand that it's just not a good idea right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think yeah. I ought to move on quite soon. Right, that's very cool. Massively appreciate you coming to join yeah. us, Professor. It's oh, it's great a, fun. I it's enjoyed been it. A massively enlightening conversation. That's no, been fun. I'm a little bit baffled, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of food for thought, I tell you. Mm. <laughs> really interesting yeah. conversation. Is there any website our listeners can go and find you at? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, no. 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 Uh, so where can they go to find, uh, buy a book, a copy of the, the handbook? Oh, online, Google. I think. Just go to Google, Amazon. Google, Google, yeah. Google. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Google friend. Yeah, it's available online. There's another one. Um, yeah, there's another one called Endocannabinoids. Oh, right. Oh, yes. Which is um, all about the endocannabinoid system. And again, that's another edited book. Wow. That's another big, meaty, thick one. Not quite so thick, no. Okay. Oh, yes, that's more suitable, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not so bad. <laughs> Meaty thick books. Yeah, but that, but that's on the um, on the endocannabinoids, not on ca- not on cannabis. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it doesn't need to be that meaty thick, does it, really? No, no. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for joining us, Professor, and thank you yeah, for all the work you've done absolutely. in cannabis well, uh, over okay. the last 50 years. It's awesome. No, I always love talking about cannabis. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Professor. We'll see you soon. Okay, bye then. You take care. Bye-bye.